Smarties, today we are discussing the silent suffering of problem solving. How do you like that title? We are discussing this idea, which is an often overlooked but major problem for learners that we work with. We chat about what we mean by problem solving and what it looks like both in and outside of the classroom. And we also share why this is a really important conversation educational therapists should be having amongst ourselves with the learners that we work with and with their parents. If you are noticing that your learner really struggles with problem solving, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach out to my practice, which specializes in ADHD and executive functioning skills in Beverly Hills, California, and virtually everywhere by signing up for a phone call at www.capedtherapy.com or reach out to Steph's practice, which is located in Redondo Beach, California, and Manhattan Beach, California, and virtually everywhere. And you can sign up for a phone call on her website, which is www.myedtherapist.com. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 274 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Kapp. And today we're talking about the silent suffering of problem solving. So, Rach. Steph. Let's talk about problem solving. But should we talk about below deck first? We can. Okay. (laughs) Steph, I had a dream last night. Oh, this is where this is coming from. That I was Captain Sandy. But like I was Rachel, but I was Captain Sandy. You had our position. Okay. But I was also being forced to make drinks. And I am not a bartender by any stretch of the imagination. So I kept having to look up drinks like I was this terrible third stew. But I was like her. (laughs) It was a very stressful dream. And it made me realize how much I do not know about what goes in like a mojito. Oh. Yeah. Or like a margarita. I'm like, I don't know. You put the mix and like some tequila and some salt. You call it a day. Maybe a lime. (laughs) (laughs) I woke up. It was a morning. It was a morning. As you know over here. You were having anxiety dreams about not knowing what you needed to know. It must have been. I think it happened in conjunction with the smoke detector chirping and Adam not being in town. Yeah. And then me with my executive functioning fail of not having the right battery to replace the smoke detector. And then Fritzy losing his mind every time it chirped. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it like all happened like in the same, like my brain was like trying to figure out what was going on. Probably. Moment. But anyway, I wanted to tell you that was my dream last night. Yeah. Also, you've been watching a lot of Below Deck, so fair enough. Below Deck Met. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to be starting the sailing. You told me to watch sailing and then I watched Adventure, which you told me you didn't like. Did you like it? Yeah. I watched the whole thing. I didn't like the chief stew though. Mainly because, like, she wanted the girl's hair and makeup in a very specific way. Yes. But going back and watching, like, Below Duck Med, I'm like, okay, they're definitely given direction to keep their hair out of their face. But, like, they don't all have to wear, like, the same color lipstick or whatever. Did you notice, too, that they would wear the white gloves when they would get on the boat and get off the boat? And nobody else does that? Yeah, what was that? The captain. I didn't really like the captain. The captain wanted the crew... White glove service. Yeah, but they would only wear it on the hand that they would shake hands with. 
Did you notice that? So it was like only on the right hand. I don't know. None of the other seasons do that. And when I have gone on, when I was working, they didn't have that. So yeah, that was the first time I'd seen that. Did the crew line up like that? Yes. The crew always lines up like that. Yes. Okay. That's normal. Interesting. And when you were working stuff, were you down below? No. You were staying in one of the guest rooms. I was staying in one of the guest rooms because I wasn't working on the boat. I was working while on the boat. So the kids would be in the room with you probably or correct, or yeah. like a crib or something. Yeah. And so they would do turn down service and all that for you? No. Why do you think that is? Because you weren't the primary? Yeah, probably. I was an employee. Yeah. I don't know. I've done it several times. So I, maybe once they did it. Maybe on one trip. Maybe during the Olympics they did. We stayed on a boat. Where? Which Olympics? The same ones you were at. Oh, London? Mm-hmm. That's before we fell in love, though. I know. So you were on a yacht in the marina there? Correct. Okay. Did you go to events? Yes. Oh, I never went to any events. I was just enjoying being in London during the Olympics. <laughs> and I wanted all the gear. That doesn't surprise me. I have the shot glass over here in my shot glass case. Do you have that one? Yeah, of course. Because I went to the USA house and got all the gear. What did you do with all that? Well, I got rid of some of it because I would wear it a lot. You mean you don't want to be wearing London 2012 and 2023 anymore? <laughs> yeah, no. There's one like zip up sweatshirt that I really, really like. That still has the logo? That has the logo. And it's Ralph Lauren. And it's so cute. I love all the... It's white and blue and red. And I love... It looks like Converse sneakers. I love it. (laughs) I don't really wear it very often. But it's there. I have it. I'm not ready to part with it. So that's okay. I understand. Do you think you should take a picture of it and send it out in today's email? (laughs) I don't think anybody cares about my 2012 <laughs> gear. But just so you guys know, I always want all the gear. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I don't want all the gear because when am I when am I going to move it from house to house? Oh, because you move house to house so often. That's a good point. I'm just saying. I, I don't move that often. You definitely have moved more, <laughs> but like, <laughs> like you've moved once. I've moved once. <laughs> Facts. Anyway, let's talk about problem solving. That got out of hand. Sorry. Yeah, it went in a direction. I just wanted to tell you about my dream. But let's talk about problem solving and why this is an important conversation. Steph, why do you think this is an important conversation? So oftentimes, I think when you're thinking about problem solving, it's not just like a math problem. Right. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about... All the decisions, all the problems that arise in a day, and we all don't approach it the same way. From parent to child, child to child, parent to parent, everybody has a different approach. That approach can affect everything else, and it can be torturous to make a decision sometimes how to solve that problem. And this is especially hard for kids that need to think on their feet and to already know the strategies that might work on how to solve that problem. And we'll talk about the types of problems that we're really talking about, but it's in the moment you have to make a decision. And that can be a real struggle for a lot of learners. And it's not something that we explicitly teach in school. So tell me about some of the problems that we're talking about. So these are those things that come up in the classroom 
or come up at home and students really just don't know how to solve them. I will say like a really good example of this is when your kid wants to order food, but it's not readily available for delivery on DoorDash or Grubhub or something like that. And they'll just move on to a different restaurant if they find out that it's not like in the one place that they go to when ordering food, meaning that they have to go to this specific website or worse yet, they have to call to place an order for delivery. So uh, this is an interesting example to me, the ones where there's multiple steps. If it's hard and they have to search for it, they have to search for it and there's a stopgap. And if the stopgap is picking up the phone to call for a lot of the kids that we work with, that's like a deal breaker. Some of them can get to that point of like, no, I really want this one specific thing. But then, oh, the only way to order it is to call. Forget that. I'm just going to move on. Right? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, make your kids call. It's so important for them to be able to do that and make an appointment for themselves. And especially with like doctor's offices that like don't have an email address and that type of thing. Like it, these are important, important skills to be able, you need to be able to call health insurance sometimes, right? Like it's, or the financial aid office. So we want to get kids comfortable talking on the phone, but anyway, I digress. So these are those social interactions that are usually based in self-advocacy. Something has happened and they don't know how, when, or who to ask for help and therefore they do nothing. And there's just this impasse. And so an example of that could be an assignment is missing in their portal, but they know they submitted it. In fact, it even shows that it's been submitted and they did the backup step of sharing it with their teacher. So we can see all that, but it's still not being registered as a completed an assignment. And so it requires further action. And for a lot of our kids, they'll just like throw their hands up. Oh, I guess I didn't get credit or they want to get credit for it, but don't know how. So that's when we step in and give them language. This is how you ask. This is how the email should look. And oh, by the way, emailing your teacher is not annoying to your teacher. Even if teachers have said, please don't email, which a lot of teachers do. The truth is, is that what teachers don't want is superfluous emails, right? Like they don't want the 11 PM, the assignment is due the next day, panic email. Can I have an extension? That's usually what they're talking about when you're advocating for yourself and there's been a mistake or the teacher just hasn't gotten to it or whatever has happened. Yeah. It's actually helpful to them. So another example of this is, you know, the student will share that they've already talked to their teacher about it. How often do you hear that stuff? Multiple times daily. Yeah. They're, they're going to take care of it. And you go, well, they have 140 students on their caseload. Why do you think you're so special <laughs> that they're going to remember that 30 second conversation? And I know I have trained the kids that I work with. And, you know, it's so funny because my brother had me do this for him the other day when we were talking. He's like, can you send me an email with that? Why? Because even though we had the conversation, he knows that the second we move on from this, he won't remember what we talked about, Mm -hmm. especially if it's an action item that he needs to do, or I had a question about something and I want an answer from him and he doesn't know. He's like, I'm never going to remember unless you put it on my radar. And it's the same for teachers. It's actually not rude. It's actually helpful. So what other 
examples do we see about learners who are really struggling with problem solving stuff? So, okay, there's a lot of social interactions that we aren't talking about, right? Peer pressure. Where do I go sit for lunch? Do I do that thing? Did I get invited? Do I invite or where I need to go for a certain club, or is that considered cool, or whatever it is, these are the things that are going through the middle and high school brain, right? Like, as you get older, you could care less. But those social interactions and figuring out what you need to do and what you feel about something is very hard. And what do you do when it's not working? That's a real hard question to answer, because most of the students... When I see them and we're talking about, okay, well, this is working or this is not working, what do you do? They have no idea. They have no idea how to change it. They just know it doesn't feel good. And so helping them understand what they're feeling, understanding what they're experiencing, understanding the decisions that they need to make and what's best for them. And that might be, I don't know the answer to this. I've emailed my teacher and I haven't gotten a response. I'm just going to turn it in and it's not complete. Mm -hmm. And that's the best choice right now. And for other kids, it might not be the best choice. It's just looking at what works for each individual child for sure or person or, I mean, as professionals, you have to make decisions all day, every day. What order you're going to do things, when you're going to do them, when are they due, how are you going to get this done, all of that. We all experience that. And you're making decisions all day. And decision fatigue is a thing. It's an important skill set that we need our learners having some creativity around. And the way to sort of introduce that idea is by standing with them and pushing them slightly into that zone. It's uncomfortable, but we figure it out step-by-step with them so that they have the modeling. And eventually, I just had this happen with a student yesterday, Steph, that she was telling me about something. She goes, Rachel, I already emailed my teacher about it. This was a kid who would like always resist emailing a teacher to the point where I was like, no, we're just going to do it. And she handled it. And I was like, I'm so excited. I'm so happy for you. She goes, I never would have done it even six weeks ago. Wow. And I'm like, I know there was just such a shift in her. So we can help give our kids these problem solving skills by modeling it for them and being with them as they're sort of learning how to do it. Yeah. All right, smarties. I love our job. I do too. Have a great week. Have a great week.